0: Struggling a bit in your prayer life? We have some encouragement for you today. Join us here on Abounding Grace as we take a look at the example of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and His prayer life. That's coming up. Stay with us. Reformed Church here in San Jose. Greetings and welcome to today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. We're back in the book of Luke today, chapter 5, verses 16 through 26, and we're going to focus on the prayer life of Jesus today. And then here in Luke, it's also that we're introduced to the Pharisees and the scribes and their hostility towards Christ. And that's where we want to spend some time as well today, looking at the audience that Jesus would spend the most time talking to. Once we understand the audience, we then understand what Jesus is trying to communicate and why quite interesting. If you'll take the time to join us, we'll study God's Word together. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner now with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace.
1: In this passage of Scripture,
0: Luke introduces
1: for the first time some ideas and truths that give shape to the rest of the New Testament, and which also define the nature of your everyday life in this world. This is the first time, by the way, that Luke brings up the Pharisees and scribes, and their hostility to Christ. This is the first time Luke talks about the power of the Lord that enables Jesus to perform healings. Luke tells us here more about the prayer life of Jesus. This is the first time in the Gospel of Luke that we hear Jesus called the Son of Man. This passage also tells us about forgiveness, the relationship of the forgiveness of sins to physical healing. It tells us about the nature of faith and the relationship of faith with the forgiveness of sins. Here we find some of the most fundamental teachings of the Word of God. And so as a result, beloved, we will be savoring this one passage of Scripture for several weeks to come. And today I want us to look at three things with which this story is introduced. Luke tells us a story that is familiar, I'm sure, to all of us. Almost everyone knows of the paralytic being brought down through the roof before the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are three things I want you to notice before we get into the actual story itself on another Sunday. First of all, I want us to look again at the prayer life of Jesus This passage begins with Jesus going into a lonely place in the mountains to pray. Secondly, I want us to look at the Pharisees and the scribes, what they believed, and observe their hostility toward Jesus. In order to understand much of what Jesus said and why he did the things he did, you've got to keep in mind who the Pharisees were and what they believed because much of his message was directed to and against them. And then thirdly, I want us to spend most of our time today looking at that phrase in the last part of verse 17. And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. But first of all, notice in verse 16, And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. Time and time again in Jesus' life, he would withdraw himself from the crowds that constantly pressed upon him to a lonely, secluded place where he could pour out his heart in prayer in order, as one man said, that the reservoir of his body and soul might be replenished from his father's inexhaustible resources. Jesus was God, but He was also man. The pressures, the burdens that He had to bear in His life exceed anything that any of us will ever have to experience. And in order to hold up as a man underneath all of that, time and again, He had to get away from His friends and His family in the crowds by Himself in prayer and private worship that God might fill Him up. This is one of the purposes of prayer, by the way, beloved. This is one of the purposes of private worship and why it is so vitally important to us. If the Lord Jesus Christ felt a need to be alone regularly and pray before God, how much more do we need to get away from everything alone and pour out our hearts before the living God? If He needed it, how dare we think? We don't need it, and often. It's important to notice where Luke tells us that Jesus went to pray. He went back into the wilderness. And of course, you remember as I introduced the book of Luke that one of the themes throughout that book is the wilderness. All kinds of things in Jesus' life happened in the wilderness, and that's not by accident. Because it links us back with statements and prophecies from the Old Testament. Showing to us that the Bible, Old and New Testament, are one book. Not with two different ways of salvation. Salvation is always been by God's grace alone. Now what happened in the wilderness? That's where Jesus did battle with Satan. That's where Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, and in doing so, publicly declared that He, He alone was taking upon Himself the judgment of God on behalf of God's people. What was the wilderness according to the Old Testament? It was a place of judgment. The children of Israel wandered around the wilderness for 40 years, being judged by God, and now... With this as a backdrop, it's important for us to understand why Luke tells us Jesus went into the wilderness, not just simply a secluded spot, but to the wilderness to pray. That was the place that reminded him of why he was here. That was the place that reminded him that God sent him to earth to submit to the severe judgment of God in place of his rebellious people. So, beloved, whenever you read about the Lord Jesus Christ going back to the wilderness to pray, it's not just to teach us something about the need of solitary prayer and private worship in our lives, although that is important. But it reveals to us that the Lord Jesus Christ goes into the wilderness to pray for the strength to do the will of God which He came to fulfill. And that is to bear in our place the judgment that our sins deserve. It was a solemn thing for him. Every time he went into that wilderness, it was another reminder... ...that he came to bear the torment and the punishment and the severity... ...of the curse of God upon human sin. So you would never have to. Praise be to God. The next thing we read about in this incident is something of the Pharisees. Look at verse 17. And it came to pass on a certain day, as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were out of every town in Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. Now, who were these Pharisees and teachers of the law, also called scribes? We read read a great deal about them in all four of the books of the gospel. Paul himself was at one time a Pharisee. The entire Sermon of the Mount had as its purpose the exposure and refutation of Phariseeism. So if much of Jesus' ministry, and a whole sermon was spent on refuting these people and what they taught, it is absolutely essential for us to understand something about them. The Pharisees, by the time of Jesus, had been in existence for some 200 years. They were a sect, a small sect of separatists who were always trying to disengage themselves from everything in order to keep themselves ceremonially, ethically, and religiously pure. They separated themselves from the heathen, from tax collectors, from publicans, just sinners in general who were not as serious as they were about keeping the law of God. The great Jewish historian, Josephus, who wrote wrote after the year 70 A.D. and the destruction of Jerusalem, said that during Jesus' day, there were little more than approximately 6,000 Pharisees, a rather small number, he says, but nevertheless very influential. They were even the unofficial religious leaders of the people of God of their day, who spearheaded opposition to the Lord Jesus Christ. One writer said they were a self-righteous group who cultivated a hollow formalism that was ostentatious to agree, especially in observing ceremonies, fasting, almsgiving, long prayers, tithes, and the like. They loved to stand in the marketplace and impress people with their self-righteousness because they thought in some way or another that by their external conformity to the rules and regulations made up by the rabbis, they in some way deserved rich blessings from Almighty God, and that made them better than everyone else. They held several views or doctrines that we need to be aware of. And as you learn of these doctrines, you'll find that Pharisees are still alive and well on planet Earth today. First of all, one of the doctrines of the Pharisees was that Jews must live by the law of God. Well, what's wrong with that, you ask? What's wrong with that is when they start defining what the law of God is. Because for a Pharisee, the law of God is the law of Moses and the oral interpretations and regulations of the law handed down by centuries of rabbinic tradition. So for the Pharisees, it was not only the first five books of the Bible, but even thicker books of regulations and interpretations of the rabbis applying the law, so they thought, to everyday life. But much of it was a misinterpretation of the law of God. Secondly, the Pharisees believed the Jews must remain free from all foreign influences, and maintain a separate existence nationally, and ethically, and socially. That is, they were racist. That's why the early church had such a problem with non-Jews being converted. The Jews couldn't handle all the Gentiles and Samaritans being saved. After all, isn't salvation only for the Jews? So the early Jewish Christians, being influenced by the racism of the Pharisees, had a problem with the conversion of non-Jewish people because it was the overt teaching of the Pharisees that influenced the people of Israel to remain nationally and ethically and socially pure. Thirdly, the Pharisees believed in a Messiah, but their idea of that Messiah and what he would be and do was something different than what the Old Testament truly taught the people of God to expect. The Pharisees looked for a Messiah who would be a great earthly military ruler and who would establish a Jewish state after overcoming the political tyranny of Rome. The purpose of the Messiah, they said, would be to in pomp and glory come as a great military leader overthrowing Rome and the Caesars and getting, setting up in its place a great Jewish state." Now you can see by that, that Phariseeism has crept into the eschatology of the church of the 21st century. Because there are some views held by Christians today concerning the future that say, the reason the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth was to set up a distinctively Jewish kingdom with the restoration of the Jewish sacrifices and rituals. You see, they say... Jesus, unfortunately, got himself killed, ruining his chances of setting up that Jewish kingdom at that point in history. So God, being the God that he is, had to go to plan B. And he had to come up with the idea of the church and try to recover what Jesus lost by his death. So, for a period of time, he put off establishing his Jewish kingdom to some future date, some millennium off into the future, when he would then set up Jerusalem as the political center of his kingdom and restore the Jewish sacrifices. Now, that's an oversimplification of what we call dispensationalism. But, beloved, they got that from the Pharisees. Now, here's another doctrine of the Pharisees, and it's related to the one I just mentioned, They attached special supreme value to all the traditions and expositions of the law of God by the rabbis. And they observed in detail the numerous ceremonial laws, but in their interpretation of those laws, they had many subtle provisions that would allow them to sin and yet at the same time alleviate their conscience that they were actually obeying the law of God. So as a result, the so-called zeal of the Pharisees for the law of God degenerated into superficiality and formality. Let me give you just one example. The Pharisees taught that you could only travel a certain distance on the Sabbath. And if you traveled farther than that, you were sinning against God. Well, the problem is, what if you wanted to go see Aunt May, who lived twice the distance from your home on the Sabbath? Well, this is what you do according to the oral law and tradition. You get a bag. You fill that bag up with dirt from your property And you take that bag of your property with you, and you walk as far as you are allowed to travel on the Sabbath. Then you get some of that dirt out of the bag, you pour it onto the ground, and you stand on it. So that technically, you're still on your property. Now you can travel the same distance again, or if you've got a big enough bag, you can go anywhere you want to. As a result of this finagling of the law of God, it degenerated into superficiality and mere externalism. And then the worst thing about the Pharisees was that they were legalist. They believed in salvation by observing the law of God or by merit, that you have to earn God's favor. If you want your sins forgiven and to be accepted by God, then you have to do this, this, and this and not do this, this, and this in order to make points with God. And if you make enough points with God, you can be forgiven. We see this today in the church, beloved. Today, in an educated America where Christianity has been around for generations, we still have people who believe in the old heresy of the Pharisees. That at the end of my life, If my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, everything is going to be okay between me and God. But if the bad deeds I do are greater than the good deeds, I'm in a grave deal of trouble. This is just old Phariseeism. Making points with God by doing the right things, thus earning your salvation. That is the heart of Phariseeism, and it is alive and well in America. Under this system, salvation is not by grace alone through faith. It is by merit. It is earned. It is achieved by people striving to earn points with Almighty God. As a result of this false religion, the Pharisees and scribes were spiritually blind in their pride and self-righteousness caused them to exalt themselves above the ordinary people. They labored on the illusion that because of their outward external observance of the details of their human traditions, that in some way or another God loved them more than he did others. And as a result of this self-righteousness and spiritual blindness, when their Messiah came, they didn't see him as the Messiah. So they crucified him. And that's the Pharisees in a nutshell. Now, who were the scribes? Luke refers to them as the teachers of the law. They were professional students and teachers of the written and the oral law. They spent all of their life studying the traditions of rabbis and teaching those traditions to the people. Most of the scribes were also members of the Pharisees, but not all of them. And they were also full of the same pride and spiritual blindness that dominated all the Pharisees. Notice what these two groups did in verse 17. Jesus' custom, and they were aware of it, was that when he entered a city, he would go to the synagogues to preach because he knew there would be a ready-made audience. So one day he walks into the synagogue and there lies these vultures The scribes and the Pharisees from all over the area sitting there waiting for Jesus to just do something. These men were threatened by Jesus. They came from all over Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem conspiring to meet here at this particular synagogue because they knew this was Jesus' home base and they were sure to encounter him there. They were greatly disturbed at what Jesus was preaching and what he was doing, so they came to him with their hostile attitudes, with ears closed and their critical eyes ready to find anything in him they possibly could. That would be contrary to the oral traditions of the rabbis, so they might condemn him and bring charges against him. Now, there's a practical point in all of this, and that is... If you are a true disciple of Jesus Christ, my friends, you will have enemies. Don't be naive. If you are faithful to Jesus Christ, you will have enemies. You will have people criticize you. You will have people who will slander you. You will have people who will say all kinds of evil against you falsely for Christ's sake. So rejoice and be exceedingly glad for so persecuted they, the prophets. They will criticize, slander, and discredit you, just like the Pharisees, to justify their way of life, which of course was contrary to the Word of God. If you have no critics, or slanderers, or enemies, you need to examine your life. If there is no one trying to discredit you or make you look bad, you need to examine your life to see if you are actually being faithful to Jesus. They criticized and slandered Him. And they criticize and slander all who are trying to be faithful to Him in order to turn attention away from the sinfulness and guilt of their own hearts. When you stand firmly for Christ, you will have enemies should hear some of the phone calls that I receive after the radio program is over some evenings. Now let's look at the third thing that Luke mentions here as he sets up this great story about the paralytic. It is found in the last part of verse 17. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Jesus knew the evil intentions in the hearts of the Pharisees. But he was in full control of this situation. He boldly positions himself over against these men who were coming to find something to criticize him about. And even though the synagogue was full of these hostile unbelievers, the Lord Jesus Christ had the power of the triune God. And he was ready and able to manifest that power miraculously for the confounding and discrediting Of his enemies. It is that phrase, the power of the Lord, that I want us to look at. When Luke uses the word Lord, he always uses it in reference to Yahweh or Jehovah. So to speak of the power of the Lord is to speak of the power of Jehovah. And then to say, of the Lord, is to say there is only one Lord's power. There is only one power, and that is the power that belongs to the Lord. Well,
0: that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word.